This is Earth News Journal. I'm Jerry Kay. Understanding the process of scientific investigation and discovery has never been more important. And communicating that information to us, the public, enabling us to make informed decisions, whether as individuals, policymakers, members of Congress, is absolutely critical. Which raises a question. How do scientists learn how to communicate effectively? Fortunately, there are programs aimed at addressing this objective, and I had a chance to visit with Dr. Tessa Hill's environmental and ocean science graduate students at the University of California at Davis. Dr. Hill asked a couple of students with knowledge in a particular area to introduce their subject matter to their fellow students. My name is Brady O'Donnell, and I'm a graduate student at UC Davis Earth and Planetary Sciences Department. I'm studying how seagrass systems react or interact with their environment, specifically relating to climate change. Right now, I'm researching these seagrasses in Bodega Bay and Tomales Bay. And the reason I'm in this particular location is because these seagrass systems that are a part of this blue carbon term, which includes salt marshes, mangroves, and seagrasses, is not very well studied, especially in California or even the west coast of the United States. On the other side of it, in Tomales Bay, there's a lot of oyster aquaculture. And if these seagrasses potentially provide some of these ecosystem services or these benefits to this aquaculture, the shellfish that we eat, then we can determine some new information that may be relevant to those stakeholders. My name is Rachel Wigginton, and I'm a PhD candidate at UC Davis in ecology in the Department of Environmental Science and Policy. I am studying how invasive plants in tidal marshes impact invertebrates living in the soil. So the plants that are there, the insects and invertebrates that eat those plants, and then the larger invertebrates that eat those, and then the fish and the birds, and then the things that rely on those food sources. When we go back to the very beginning of what could potentially be a problem, a lot of times it might be an invasive species, specifically a plant. Next, students also in the class asked questions of their colleagues. This is a highly edited version of what occurred. Brady, can you tell us how you got involved in your current research? Some people might be surprised to think that I do love sand and mud and dirt. It's not that exciting. But for me, what I see in the sand and the mud and in the dirt is evidence of how humans are potentially impacting that environment that that dirt is located in. For the seagrass, dirt, and mud that I'm studying, it's really indicative or telling about what we're doing in regards to climate change. Rachel, how did you get involved in this type of research? I have been interested in working in aquatic systems generally since I was a really small child. I grew up on a farm in south central Kentucky and we had a creek that ran through the backyard and I was always going down to the creek and getting little critters out from underneath the rocks and bringing them back up to these tanks that my parents very indulgently let me keep on the front porch. I took that love of trying to understand how things worked and I wanted to transition it into a more academic form of study. Along the coast of California, we've lost 90% of our tidal wetlands. So it's really important to understand how these remaining 10% work so that we can conserve them and keep these systems, not only for future generations, but because they do really important things for us. They have a lot of what we call ecosystem services. So these are things that ecosystems do that are beneficial to humans. Things like flood control, their nursery grounds for important commercial fisheries, and people really enjoyed recreating out in tidal marshes, so kayaking, hiking. So I think that these are one of the most exciting systems to study. Seagrasses also provide a lot of environmental services. A lot of the food that we eat like mussels and clams, are affected negatively by ocean acidification or that extra carbon dioxide in the water. And seagrasses, 
when they photosynthesize or when they're breathing, they potentially combat or mitigate or protect some of these animals from this ocean acidification problem. Brady and Rachel, both of you talked about combating climate change and sequestering carbon. Are these environments, are they potential answers to our climate change question? Can we plant these up and down the coast and see a change in our climate? I would say this is a piece of a solution, and it's something that we can do right now. But seagrasses will not be the answer for the future. It will help us to work towards this issue. But I think that something that will solve the problem for us is going to take a lot more unification and policy, both locally and nationally. I completely agree with Brady's sentiment that there is no silver bullet for combating climate change. However, especially in our coastal communities that are particularly at risk because of some of the effects of climate change, light sea level rise, restoring and actively conserving these coastal systems like seagrasses and salt marshes is actually very important. And we shouldn't overlook our ability to work on solving these global problems with local solutions like restoration of small salt marsh parcels or restoration of these seagrass areas. I found Dr. Hill's class and students to be absolutely wonderful. She brings in outstanding outside speakers and provides a unique opportunity to combine a student's obvious passion for science with a commitment to sharing that knowledge and passion with us. My thanks to Dr. Tessa Hill and her students at the University of California at Davis. I'm Jerry Kay.